Hello again, friends, and welcome to episode seven. Did we really make it all the way to seven? Seven. We're at episode seven of My Life in Miniatures. I'm your host, John Ashton. Uh, I'm from heresyandheroes.com. You can also find me on Twitter at heresyheroes. You probably know all of this by now because you're an avid listener. You've got through six of these. You're here at number seven. And I'm here to tell you we've got a wonderful show today. I really do sound like a radio presenter sometimes, don't I? Uh, yes, today we have Pete the Wargamer, who I will uh, I'll be getting to a little bit later. Um, if you if you don't already know of him from YouTube, I really suggest getting to know him because he makes some wonderful, wonderful videos um, that are really fun to watch and incredibly informative. Uh, you might have seen uh, recently his Fafnir Ran appeared in uh, uh, on the Warhammer community website. With lots of other Fafnirans and um, Bringers of Sorrow and Horus Heresy things. Um, I feel guilty actually about that because uh, I've had another busy week. It's been um, an insanely busy week. Uh, really busy. and But good busy. Like nothing's bad. It's all really fun, busy. But uh, Games Workshop did send me... Um, Fafniran and what's his name? Dominion Zephon or Zephon, whatever it is, um, to actually review. Uh, I can tell you both. They're really cool miniatures. Um, see, see, I just said I can tell you both. They're really cool miniatures. Like I have two listeners. I actually have more than two listeners. I found out recently, which is quite nice, uh, considerably more. Um, but what I meant is both of them are really cool miniatures. And uh, if you're into the Horus Heresy book series. Um, Especially Blood Angels and Imperial Fists, I, I really recommend picking the, one of those guys up or both those guys up because they're really cool kits. But I haven't had the chance to either write an article about the kits or actually get one painted because it's just been really, really, really busy. But like I say, it's good busy. Why have I been busy? Um, well, my sort of in real life job has been pretty full on this week, but that's fun. That's good. I enjoy that. Better busy than bored. Um, I've uh, I started the I'm I'm now fully into the the D and D campaign I was telling you about, um, and might even be jumping into another one pretty soon. Um, and then I've got some other fun like personal stuff going on, so which is is it's fun for me. You don't need to know about all that. But hobby wise, yeah, I, I um I, I haven't had the chance to do much. And do you know what? I bought the um the big pirate ogre set for Warhammer Underworlds. I was at uh, Warhammer World last weekend, uh, last Sunday. Hung out with some really cool people. God, was that really only last Sunday? Jeez, what is what is with time in the post-pandemic era? Well, not that we're really post-pandemic, we're just sort of at the tail end of it. Um, but yeah, I, I was there last weekend and uh, had a load of fun actually watching two very good Underworlds players play some games with each other and I just I was reminded why I liked that game and so I, I strolled along to the store and I saw the um what's the name the Buccaneers um black is it black something's Blackbeard's no it won't be Blackbeard uh, you know the one I mean it's got the monkey and the parrot and the little knoblars and um yeah I I picked that up because I thought hey if I just put some hair on that on that guy like green stuff in some curls, it'll look like me. So why not? Uh, but I haven't had a chance to do that. Uh, I am doing some hobby at the moment. Well, not right now. At the moment, I'm talking to you. But I've I've actually got some uh, hobby on the go, which I'm hoping to have done um, 
at some point this week. That'll be cool. I'm having a lot of fun painting some reds. Uh, I don't know if that gives you a clue as to what I'm painting, but I'm painting a lot of reds. Actually, it shouldn't give you a clue. Hmm. But yeah, uh, that's been my hobby. Um, although I had one other hobby-related incident, shall we call it. Um, I've been writing on Heresy and Heroes um, on and off for about seven, no, nine years, nine years. Um, it was. It started off as a way for me to chart my personal hobby, and then it became a way of trying out new projects. It gave me the idea for this podcast. Um, but it's been there for nine years, and it's it's great for me because I get to see how my painting has progressed, and uh, it's a writing outlet, and I like writing things. And um, but it's been there a long time now, and every now and again, someone finds a really old article that I wrote that I'd forgotten about. Um, and leaves a comment, which is always, you know, it's nice that people are engaged enough to leave comments. Um, sometimes they're like, oh, I really like this miniature. And I look and I'm like, oh, yeah, I like that miniature too. I forgot about that I did that. So that's really nice. But then this week, so to give you some context, actually, seven years ago, uh, long before I worked for Games Workshop or did anything like that, I wrote an article about uh, Slanesh and how while Korn and Nurgle and Zinch all had range updates, Slanesh didn't. And I was pondering on this. I was asking the question, you know, uh, is it because historically sales have been down on Slanesh compared to the others? Maybe. Um, but one of the theories I put across was that perhaps uh, there are a few too many boobs for Games Workshop to be comfortable in in promoting that god, that range. I, th I wondered if... Perhaps, you know, we never would get an update to Slanesh. Um, and in those seven years since then, we have had updates to Slanesh. And they've been really, really good. Uh, especially in Age of Sigmar, where they now have a glorious range of miniatures. But the demons in general, uh, the new fiends are incredible. Uh, the new Keeper of Secrets is one of the most gorgeous looking models. I've got it. I haven't painted it. I've got an idea for it, but it's going to take so long to do that I've just sort of put it to one side. And Anyway, um, someone left a comment, and I've approved it. I've let it go on the blog, because I always do this. But um, you know when people just don't read things? Because I was, I was merely hypothesizing as to why this was. And like I said, within these seven years, yeah, uh, they've had an update, and it's fine. <laughs> and then someone left this comment. Uh, Stop trying to change things just because they offend you. You is all in capitals. And I should add that they, Slanesh doesn't offend me at all. I'm a huge fan of Slanesh. There are plenty of people out there that love Slanesh, and Slanesh forces as they are. Yes, because they've had the update in the seven years since I wrote that article. Women cosplay Slanesh for Pete's sake. Well, you haven't put an apostrophe in Pete's, so presumably it's multiple Peters, uh, the sake of which um, I am forsaking, I suppose. There is nothing broken, nothing to change. If you don't like booba, I think they meant boobs, but they obviously got so excited about writing the word boobs that they wrote booba instead, which is fine. Uh, if you don't like booba, fine. Don't play and they left the apostrophe out, don't either, um, uh, as well, either, I should say. Uh, don't play as or against a Slaneshi player, but don't change something because you find it problematic and want to ruin the fun for others. Now, um, 
as I say, that's approved. It's on the blog. You can, if, if you're desperate to read that article, I don't know why you would be, like I said, it's seven years out of date. Um, but yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm glad that I still get uh, comments on some of these older pieces. Um, so that's been my, I've been chuckling at that quietly all week. Um, now, on to today's guest, we've got Pete Harrison from Pete's the Wargamer on YouTube. Uh, as I said at the beginning, if you don't know it, go and check it out because it is some of the most helpful hobby content you will find on YouTube. Pete's a wonderful presenter. He's a great painter. He's really into his conversion stuff at the moment. He's always enjoyed conversions, as you will hear about in our in our chat. Um, but yeah, I, I really can't speak highly enough of Pete or the work he does. Um, he's he's a great guy, and uh, I you know I'd like to thank him for taking the time to uh, do the podcast with me. As I would like to thank all of my guests um, who have done this uh, over the years. So. Um, I almost said it. I almost said the thing that I said I wasn't going to say in the last episode. Um, So let's get straight to it. Here is my chat with Pete the Wargamer. Pete, thank you very much uh, for coming on the podcast. You're very much welcome. Thank you for having me. No worries. You'll notice there I had to put on my presenter voice, which is, you know... It's slightly more chirpy and uplifting. You know. <laughs> I think we all have that kind of voice when we're, when we're presenting. It's always like a, a different one from when you're starting to chat with your mates. You've got to yes. have a, an enunciation, make sure everyone can understand. Absolutely. And uh, and you're known for your very smooth voice on your channel. So, uh, <laughs> it's very clear and, and good for instructions. It wasn't always. It's kind of, it, it was a developed effort i think it was something where i had to one of the things i had to learn to do was to slow down my voice because i used to speak very quickly and when you're trying to get information across that people can understand then you need to make sure it's been especially when you've got like a a global audience as well people who may be english as the first language so it is important but yes yes nice well Let's uh, let's go right back to the beginning then, um, mm-hmm. with the the miniatures that inspired you to go on this path that would one day uh, lead you to beat the war gamer on YouTube. Um, your very first miniatures were Moria goblins. Yep, um, they were the ones that came in the Battle Games of Middle Earth magazine, yeah. which I think came out in about two thousand two. Um, it was about. It was, it was, I think it was about the time that the Two Towers had, was coming out, and I'd seen the first film. And I'm not sure if I'd seen Two Towers by that point, but I remember seeing an advert on television. It was after school, um, and there was an advert came on. One of those typical adverts that tend to air at this time around a year, um, mm-hmm. where it's like, "Oh, collect your, build your collection from week by week using this." And it was a whole kind of like fortnightly magazine, and it had Lord of the Rings on there. And I was like, oh, "I love Lord of the Rings," so let's get some of these miniatures. I think I'd heard of Warhammer at that point. Um, Like people at school had maybe mentioned there was a few people at school played, played it or they had all the siblings that did. Um, But no one in my kind of immediate friend group played it. So I didn't really know much about it personally. Um, So I saw the advert and then I kind of just picked up, it was like one ninety nine, and you got 12 goblins and four paints and a couple of dice and a paintbrush. It was like, it was a, amazing really it's just like pocket money yeah yeah that's very um, good. so yeah, i picked that up um painted my first goblins in it would have been the old colors so old games yeah. workshop colors it would have been goblin green nice i think um 
What was the brown? There was a like a dark brown. It's suppose it's like Rhinox hide now. Yeah, I don't. I genuinely don't remember. Oh, they all blend it? into one, apart yeah, from like the it, really old ones that I remember when I was a kid, like Blood Wash or no Red Wash and um, Blazing Orange and stuff like that. But after that, I, it all just blends in. Names just keep changing. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, I can't remember what it was. It, you basically, was, I painted it in uh, green, silver, black, and brown. They were the four colors. You didn't get the red paint until issue three. No, do. So yeah, they didn't have to, they didn't have any. They just had brown sleeves, and then they, they put the iconic red sleeves on after that. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, after that, I was just hooked. Just kind of carried on with all the rings for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, that naturally progressed into forty k and a bit of fantasy, and yeah, mm-hmm. carried on for a while. Nice. So you were you were legitimately one of those people who came in purely because of Lord of the Rings and and your yeah. love for that that particular franchise. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I don't know if I probably would have got around to it. I think in the end, some of the friends I I kind of I got at high school, um, who I probably would have been friends with anyway, even if I we didn't have that kind of shared enjoyment of Warhammer. They were into 40k and uh, fantasy, so I probably would have picked it up from them. Yeah, it was definitely Lord of the Rings that got me into it. Nice. Well, good. Yes, and and goblins are a fine way to start. Have you got a <laughs> Are goblins still your your favoured Middle Earth sort of team, or have you got a, a, an army that you prefer over them these days? Um, oh, I haven't painted any Lord of the Rings stuff for a while. Um, I think the last when I did collect Lord of the Rings, I had um, I had a High Elves army, and we used to have a club on a like after school club, and we used to basically go and uh, play there, and it was great actually because our history teacher ran it, and he was really into his. Um, historical wargaming so he played like a lot of kind of uh, napoleonics and kind of black powder era of like Mm -hmm. um so so he had he had like the boards and everything set up so we had these really nice kind of um flocked and scenic um scenic boards and we just used those so we had probably a really good gaming setup and i used to use high elves i used to go for like the minimum the, well, the maximum 33% archers in that and then just yeah, yeah. kind of, I wouldn't say cheese, but I would mm-hmm. just sit back and let everyone come to me and shoot them and then use the close combat elves when, when they got there. And I, it worked. They won, so... It sounds like a very sensible approach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially the elves, yeah. Nice. Okay, so, well, now you've mentioned your elves. Yeah. Were they your, were they your first foray into Warhammer? Um, no, the first... I think the first army in Warhammer um, fantasy that I picked up um, Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, they were the guys I kind of went for for that. I just liked that whole that whole like black powder. I think I had yeah. a, a Nuln army and just went kind of crazy on handgunners and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, 40k was was Black Templars. I think was the first kind of full army that I ever really. Mm. built at the time maybe it's just because i found that painting black was easy so going for a normal army and going for black templars just mainly black color schemes so. you were very goth back then weren't you That's what <laughs> i did, you're I did to used me. to dye my hair black yeah so <laughs> nice nice yeah all right wow so okay um is, well that's it's a fine way to start black templars and empire and um things like that but if we move on slightly forward uh one of the uh sets of miniatures i should say that you you wanted to uh regale us with your love of um 
are, are, are a faction very fond and held very dearly in the hearts of many, uh, the Bretonians. Mm-hmm. What was it about the Bretonians that just screened their, one of your favourites? Well, it was just one of those. I'm, I'm not sure if it's it's kind of... It's strange because I never actually ever got my hands on a Bretonian kit because mm-hmm. I was obviously... I was, in, I was a teenager. I kind of just had pocket money and a bit of money for birthdays and Christmas. So I just had a couple of armies. I didn't have a lot. And I kind of settled then on Empire and I, I my 40k armies as well. Um, and... Bretonians, I think their their the last kits that came out got released whilst I was collecting. So it was obviously all the big hype of the the new um peasant archers and the men at arms and the knights and the Pegasus Knights and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Um so I I was around for all these things getting released and they were like classic medieval fighters. I really liked the um you always saw really cool conversions for the men at arms models as well. Yeah, they still do, yeah. they still pop up every now and again, especially mm-hmm. like Inquisitor Retinues and Imperial Guard, things like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, it's just one of those things where I, I kind of fell out of, of playing Warhammer for a while. And by the time I came back, it was Age of Sigmar and they just disappeared. So no, right, wow. um, yeah, yeah. it was just, I never really got the chance to actually pick them up. Um, it's a shame because I, I enjoy playing them when I play like Warhammer Total War and stuff like that. It's quite nice to yeah. play as Bretonians and pick up the peasants and it's like, oh, okay, I can kind of imagine myself playing these as a, an actual yeah, tabletop yeah. game, but it's not quite the same. It would be nice to get some of those models. No, they they were a dream, actually. I had, um, it was just before I was uh, due to sort of leave the hobby the first time when I was about 13 years old. Um, the Lizardmen and Bretonian box set had not long before come out for Warhammer Fantasy. And all the Bretonian kits, like the, I, I'm not going to try and remember the names, Knights of the Grail, Knights of the Chalice, those sort of things. Yeah. And I just remember... Back then, the idea of painting those tabards in the way that they'd been painted in White Dwarf by the MMS team was just like, oh, I'm never doing that. I'm just, <laughs> why even bother? Now, I'd love to have those back. They just cry out yeah. for, yeah, just spend hours doing freehand all over them. And, um, yeah, they're just they're beautiful, Those um, the gowns they had on the, those horses. Yeah, because I think, yeah, like I'm in the same situation. I think looking at something that was very bright and richly colored like they were at the mm. time i probably would have really struggled to paint which is why i kind of stuck to black templars and norm um yeah. but now it, it would be it would be really nice to just kind of give something because you could really kind of go the boat you could go for the bright colors but then kind of contrast that with like a bit more of a grim dark grime to them and like yeah, really yeah. darken them up as well so they kind of started out bright but then after trudging through the muddy battlefields they've getting blood covered and things like that. They, they're not quite as bright and I like it. Um, yeah, yeah. on it as they would do, but we never know. Maybe, maybe they'll come back with the, uh, yeah. the return of the old world. We can dream. That's true. Yeah. I, I keep forgetting that the old world is going to happen again. Cause I mean, they really wouldn't fit in age of Sigmar as a concept, would they? They're a bit, no, well, they are historical war game and they're a French cavalry army. Really? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, it's uh, no. I do miss them. I miss the Green Knight. That's the one that if mm. I could, if I could afford the prices that Green Knights go for on eBay, yeah. Um, well, good ones, not ones that have sort of you know fallen off the back of a car a few times. Um, yeah, the the good ones, but it's so expensive. And but just that Green Knight model was a dream. It was a yeah. Oh well, uh, yes. Yeah. So was did you have any particular? While I fondly. Um, 
tread down memory lane there and get lost in my thoughts uh, about painting a green knight were, were there any particular bretonian models that were your favorites that you really wish um, you could paint now i think yeah it, it probably would have been it would have been the peasant units probably either the archers or the men at arms i think mm. i think even though i did like the knights and that kind of whole like the 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 Questing knights were probably my favourite. They were, had a look a bit more of a, a battered appearance, which I liked. Yeah, yeah. But the peasants were just so simple. They were just like a. It was a line of bowmen. You had the stakes in front of them, and they just looked really cool and yeah, all lined nice. up. And um, I think they would. It was those kind of units that worked really well for the way that you had the kind of rank and file Warhammer games. It just looked really nice, uh, ranked yeah. up. But yeah, I mean the same thing because you, you see them pop up on eBay every now and again. I saw a, like a sealed box of like mm. the. The kind of the equivalent start collecting army boxes they used to have back then, which had yeah, all yeah. of the plastic kits in there, and they just go for some ridiculous prices. Yeah, it's too much, too um, much. But, uh, oh well, yeah, I'm sure they've made someone very happy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's return uh, to the 41st millennium. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about your love of the Bane Blade. Well, um, so after Black Templars, one of the armies that I went for was um, Imperial Guard, as it was called back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had, I just really liked tank armies. And I think it was around about Apocalypse when when that kind of first came out. There was some rules that allowed you to run. Um, it was like the first time that you, it was either White Dwarf rules that made it into Apocalypse or vice versa, something like that. And it basically allowed you to run a full army of tanks. Nice. Um, so I just brought about, I brought there's a box set that came out that had about seven Russes in there. So I just bought that and I just built built all those up. And and then the Bane Blade came out and I was I was like, this is amazing. I was like, really liked yeah. the, the kits that had come up until that point, but they're just such a I'd seen it on Forge World and I'd seen the the ones on there and it, they always looked really cool. And someone had um converted it into that Nurgle version, that kind of foul blade kind of yeah, thing. It was yeah, like kind of one. And that was with the with the tanks on the back. And that looks really cool. And um I was like, oh, I'd, I'd love to get my hands on them, but it was obviously resin and at the time mm-hmm. it was very expensive. And the plastic kit came out and it became much more affordable and much Absolutely. more easy to work with. Yeah. Um so yeah I grabbed one of those, I built it, painted it in a fort, just spent the whole weekend working on it and yeah, it was great. And it was it's a little bit overpowered for the games me and my friends used to have. I could just trundle along in it. Yeah. <laughs> they couldn't really do anything to it. I could just pick them off with the last cannons and the bolters and the demolisher cannon. Yeah. Um before they could do anything. So it wasn't great, but if if we we played a few games like big games at our local games workshop. Um mm. so I kind of took it along to those. We played a few apocalypse games and yeah, um, it was it was it was just a really nice fun model to build and paint and um all those little rivets were really nice for washes and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of nice panels. So yeah, it was just a really cool kit, really nice and big. It was probably the biggest kit. I think there was some plastic at that time. Maybe the, uh, the stomper was out uh, or, or by then or around that, that time. It would have been around that sort of time. Yeah. I think I, if I'm wrong, I'm sure someone will correct us, but yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, that, I vaguely uh, remember it being, I think, Again, coming from when I started in second edition, the idea of having um, something the size of a Bane blade in plastic um, was just mind blowing because there were certain things that, you know, the whole reason the Epic game system existed was because some things are too big to have in Warhammer 40,000. Yeah. And now 
well, you could, if you wanted to, have a Warlord Titan in a game of mm. Warhammer 40,000. I the however many thousands of points that costs to, to bring. But, yeah, it's um, when they started doing things like the, the Bane Blade, Shadow Sword, um, the Stomper, all that sort of stuff, it really did sort of, it felt like a new era almost was starting yeah. um, where you could just have massive things was, uh, uh, that weren't it's like... just kind of carried on. Yeah, and they weren't Forge World Resin and you know, no. just put them together easily without soaring through things and swearing at uh, glue that won't hold huge lumps of resin together. And, uh, yeah, and just, just working with resin. And, and I mean, I, I never really liked working with metal models at the time. No. Um, and there was a lot more of those back when I first started. Yeah, um, yeah. So anything in plastic was just amazing. I mean, my demolisher was the one that had the metal components on it. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they just kind of fell off every every time that the the kind of the tank got a little bit of a bash and the, the, the armor panels came off and the the yeah. marsha cannon fell off the front of it so i was just like oh no yeah i've got the um the second version of the predator um which is one of those the really old like original rhino um chassis with the metal sponsons and turret um, okay the biggest problem about that is for the third time recently, it's fallen off a shelf because if you touch it slightly, it's so unbalanced because like the front of it is just really heavy and the back of it yeah. is light as a feather. So yeah. you, you sort of brush it slightly with a sleeve and it bounces wantonly off right. the shelf and onto the wooden <laughs> floor and you just think, oh, I can't be bothered with you. Yeah, no. Yeah, that was always the biggest problem with with those, with the metal models, just things just being unevenly weighted and mm -hmm. especially that it was the hybrid kits that were probably the worst ones the full the solid yeah. metal ones were, weren't as bad because they were all metal but then as soon as you started putting metal pieces on the plastic kit it just it just all went went to pieces yeah quite literally well, yes and because back then you sort of think oh i can use polystyrene cement to glue it on and no you can't yeah. it needs to be super made that some, yeah made that mistake quite a few times yeah yeah and then the funniest one back from my time was the uh, what used to be called an Eldar Dreadnought, which is now Wraithlord, um, that was entirely metal. And people who didn't pin it at the pelvis, it was always fun watching their games because you could just sit back and be like, any minute now, any minute now. And it would just start <laughs> bending forward. And eventually it sort of doing, you know, folded itself in half just because it no. was too heavy at the top on these spindly <laughs> yeah, little legs. Yeah, because I think I remember that one. I think I remember playing against someone who had it, and it you had this. Obviously, the 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 Wraith Lord head is quite a solid piece of, like quite a large piece, and obviously the rest of it's very thin and spindly. Yeah. Um, yeah. What what a time! What a time to be trying to just build, and and it was fine maybe for having as something a piece that went sat on your shelf or something like that. But as soon as you actually use any of these models, these big miniatures, and I remember the the, the old Chaos Dreadnought, the one that was just just solid metal yeah um i mean you could probably use that as an offensive weapon it was just that there's that much weight to those kind of things mm -hmm. spikes as well oh lots of spikes yes um, and the paint would always chip off as soon as you decided to as soon as it went anywhere near another metal model in a, in a yeah, box or anything yeah. like that the paints would just fly off no they yeah. were um yes long live plastic that's why i say yeah that's definitely right. now before we get onto your next section of models at what point, when you were, you've been a hobbyist, you're, you're mm -hmm. doing good work, when does Pete suddenly decide, I'm going to start a YouTube channel and do this? What was the inspiration behind Pete the Wargamer? 
Um, it it was kind of something I fell into, really, which is, I, I don't know, I never really set out to be on YouTube. It was just something that kind of happened. So um, when I, I kind of took a break from Warhammer when pretty much around about uni time, yeah, so when I was yeah. about 17, 18, something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And then I kind of got back into it in in my early 20s again. And at the time, I kind of just started doing a few models. And I was doing a little bit of commission painting here and there once I kind of got dusted off the cobwebs and got back to painting. So I used to do a little bit of commission painting. So I set up a blog, which was just a kind of um, a, a place where I could use to post my models. And it was before really, it was Facebook was around, but it wasn't so much people had like Instagram or anything like that. So it was yeah, the yeah. best place, to, best thing to do was just set up a blog. So I was kind of set that up. I used to write down my projects and use that as a point jumping off point for people who were interested in getting commissions and then i started writing for a bigger blog called talk wargaming i think that's still going now i remember Um, talk wargaming yeah yeah so i started doing some writing for those i'm not sure if it's i think it's been bought out by someone else now and Hmm. um i'd made a few videos to go along with my old blog at the time just like a few reviews and a few basic things just to kind of I thought I'd give it a go. It just seems yeah, yeah. like it was just a nice, fun thing to do, just reviewing some of the kits that I picked up. It was never anything like hobby-based. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started doing for Talk Wargaming, and then I thought, okay, well, maybe I can do some um, video content for this. And I started doing a little bit of video content around that. And then that kind of started from then. I, it kind of developed mm-hmm. into being my own channel because I moved away from um, Talk Wargaming and that kind of, shut down for a bit and then I kind of carried on with my own thing and eventually yeah. just came Pete the Wargamer and I think he's been going for five years this year no longer than that now. it's pretty impressive yeah yeah for quite a while now yeah I can uh for the for the listeners at home I can see in the background of Pete's image his nice little YouTube plaque um, <laughs> which shows you how well he's doing so uh if you if you're not familiar with it go and check it out um but yeah because I I remember stumbling across videos of yours from a while back where I think you were doing an airfix tank and you were showing people how to use weathering powders. Does that sound familiar or something like that? Yeah, it would have been a, um, I think it would have been a Mark IV tank. Um, Mm -hmm. It was one of the ones from, it would have bolt actions. So it's like what kind of like a 28 millimeter scale. Um, Yeah, I think that was, I think that was, I think it was that tank, maybe. I definitely did yeah. a World War One tank at one point. But yeah, that was that was a while ago now. Yeah. It was, yeah, yeah. Well that's that's how long I've been keeping tabs on you. It's, um yeah. No, well well done. Uh, you've been very successful. It's very helpful. Half the time, if I paint anything big that's rusty, I use the recipe that you put up on there, which was you did a an orc buggy, one of the newer ones. And you just yeah. painted it all rusty. And I use that every time. And people always go, oh, that looks great. And I sometimes I tell them it's yours. And sometimes I just take all the credit. Myself. <laughs> yeah. I don't mind. It's no, fine. No. The, uh, yeah, because that one, um, I mean, this, I, I don't do as much. I can still do um, some painting guides now. But my main thing is, is the conversions. But the, the painting stuff was always, um, I always enjoyed the painting. But I, I, I kind of like to find ways of doing things in in different ways, which is basically what the Rust video was. It was a way of just approaching it, which used lots of um, like foam stippling and washes to create an yeah, effect, yeah. which to create more of a 3D effect. And it was something I, I kind of, it was a technique that I'd borrowed from the scale modeling 
So people who get like do ridiculously detailed like yeah, yeah. tanks and in larger scales than than Warhammer is, um, and they, but they use mainly like oils and more kind of specialist paints. I thought how yeah, can right. adapt this technique to be using more acrylics. Um, and I, I've good. always tried to yeah, I, I was really impressed. I kind of tried it out and something. I was like, this has come out really nice. And I hadn't the first time I tried it out on anything large was, was for the tutorial. Yeah, so I thought I'll give it a go see how it comes out and i was happy with with how it appeared in the end actually so nice nice and um just looking through the models you sent me because i was going to call out your um oh what's his name helbrecht conversion uh okay talking about your conversion work at the moment um some of it's just stunning what you what you managed to do with helbrecht so that you turned him into an iron warrior you heretic (laughs) you beast yeah it's so it's kind of been a um it's kind of been a challenge that I set for myself now. And it's almost, I, I, I kind of struggle to just build the models as they are now, where yeah, yeah. if anything new comes out, I'm always like, how can I, how can I twist this? How can I take this model and change it to be something that's very different? Something that's very opposite. I think one of the first, I think one of the first ones I did truly, which was like a, a difference was changing um, Sigvald into a vampire Lord. Yeah. Um, yeah I Sigvald that. miniature. Yeah, yeah. And, it, that was as soon as I saw it. I obviously took a lot of inspiration from the, the the Dracula film, where it was was it was it Ralph? No, who was it? Was it Gary Oldman in the the, the, yeah, kind of yeah. the red armor? Yeah, that yes, kind of was, yeah. Uh, took a, took a lot of inspiration from that. And I thought this, this that armor would work perfectly for the, like a vampire esque thing. And yeah, ever since then, whenever I get anything, I'm always thinking, oh, can I, how can I change that? What can I do to yeah make it very different the i, I did the, one of the more recent ones i did was the um the new dragons for um stormcast i took the big chondris and thought okay in this version of age of sigma the main narrative was stormcast versus cruel boys so let's take this stormcast model and give it to the cruel boys and made it like yeah, an yeah. polluted dragon um a looted dragon that's yeah, funny. and it just thought like, it, it it just makes sense really to me that that's something they would do if they could. So it's just got this this orcs on the back and lots of chains and it's kind of in manacles and looking a bit downtrodden. Um, yeah, it's kind of become an obsession where I really do struggle now to just build the models as they are intended to be. I follow the instructions mm. up to a point and then start sticking bits to it until I get something different. Well, you're doing well and you're having fun, so keep doing it. That's the main uh, thing. Yeah. All right, let's let's go back now to some of your other models. Tell me about Father Orkmus and his sleigh. Um, and uh, was was this one of your earliest attempts at conversion, or, or was this just one of the ones you remember most fondly? Um, uh, yeah, so it was probably my. It certainly wasn't my earliest attempt, but it was, it was probably my earliest successful attempt at conversion. Nice. Um, yeah. So it's pretty much exactly exactly what it is. It's basically an orc that looks like Father Christmas and he has a jet sleigh, uh, which is converted from the old orc truck, not the uh, not the new one, the, the, yeah. the old kind of flatbed one that was like very basic. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And he's got a few um, of the Ogre Kingdom Noblars on the back because there's little elves, and I've just painted up with green to make them look a bit more like uh, goblins. But it was basically a um, a local games workshop store was really 
they like doing conversion challenges and things like that and painting competitions. And yeah. for Christmas, they did a, um, a challenge where you basically, you would convert a father orcmus and a sleigh and they, they made like a custom game and you'd have to kind of zip around the board facing off against the other father orcmuses to pick up the presents and I deliver like it. But the yeah, presents, yeah. the presents were like ammo dumps and you were basically looting an imperial supply dump and taking them mm-hmm. back to the orcs um so I, I did it for that i uh i lost the game but i won the conversion like the, the competition for building the thing so it kind of spurred nice. me on massively from there yeah, yeah. Um, but i think yeah up to that point i'd always enjoyed doing little conversions I like making um I like making my own inquisitors and um i did a few conversions when i was doing my black temples nothing too big it's just more little little tweaks and changes to things and just like having unique look, looking models and but that was the third the probably the biggest conversion that i that I did, i'd done to that date and obviously having it win something was just a bit more of a spur to make me do more and give me the confidence and yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I haven't stopped since uh, well i was gonna ask have you have you ventured down any other sorts of holiday routes have you done like an easter tyranid or um <laughs> i don't know uh the the tooth squig or something like that i mean i maybe there's maybe never say never there's always the possibility there's lots of lots of holidays that we can we can use for inspiration for various warhammer miniatures good good well i look forward to seeing them (laughs) uh uh, okay so then after father Orkmus, we have your nurgle meth army Mm -hmm. so yeah tell me about nurgle the nurgle meth so again, this was my inability to actually build anything which wasn't converted. Um, it's a good inability. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it, it, it's great, but the the problem is everything takes twice as long and costs twice as much because you have to buy yeah. buy twice as many kits to to break everything apart and glue it back together again. But it's um, the this, the Nurgle Neck was the first time that I ever had a fully dedicated converted army. I've always mm-hmm. just done individual mon- miniatures or maybe small squads or something like that. Um and never really settled on a fully converted army. Yeah. Um so there was I just wanted to I kind of wanted to get into playing Age of Sigma and I thought let's let's build an army and I thought I'll go for Sylvaneth, but then I've always had this like when I've it came from one of the new Goat Trek books where mm-hmm. um he basically encounters a glade that's been corrupted by sylvaneth and sorry a sylvaneth glade has been corrupted by nurgle and yeah um lauriel has uh, frozen it or something like that to kind of keep it from spreading and then by gotrick's presence he's got this urgold rune that basically i think i might be misremembering it but it, it basically mm. causes the forest to melt and all these kind of nurgle corrupted dryads and stuff start coming out i thought this would actually work really well because you have that whole kind of life cycle and growth thing with Nurgle anyway. And that's kind of what Sylvaneth. And I know in in the law they are kind of like the antithesis of each other. Yeah. Then they're also very similar in many ways. So it was very easy to take some a tree revenants and add some um plague bearer parts to them. And that was how it started. And I thought this works quite well. And so I built it from there and I built some Colonel Hunters and used the the I forgot the cord now. Which ones? The the main Nurgle guys, the oh, uh, plague bearers. No, not the plague bearers, the mortal ones with the armor. Oh, uh, the putrid bloke kings. That's it, yeah. yeah. Um, so their heads, their kind of armored heads work really well with the Kunathunters. Mm. So I kind of stuck them there, did some more green stuff, did a lot of sculpting. 
And then I kind of capped it all off by taking the Glockin model and taking off the two brothers from the top and then sticking Ilario on top and nice. using that as my Ilario. So yeah, it, it, I mean, the army itself, Sylvan, I thought, in a great place competitively. So it didn't do amazingly well at a tournament that I played with them, but they looked good. And it was nice to have like a full, fully dedicated army that had been converted. And I still need to kind of add to as well because I just kind of built the 2,000 points and then didn't really yeah. give myself much wiggle room, but... Still, I mean, I, what I really like is you don't seem to go heretic too often, but when you do, you go really heretic. Like, it can't be just, I'm going to make a, a bad guy Iron Warrior's boss. He's going to be based on Hellbrecht. Yeah. And the very idea of having Alariel stood atop the Glockkin is quite deliciously heretical. Yeah, I mean, this is the further I can push it, the better, in my opinion. Like, if you just get like a space marine and you just, you just put some spikes on him, then okay, that's 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 pretty cool. But that's just it's not far off what a regular chaos space marine is. Yeah, it's always it's always kind of a nice. Um, I don't know, maybe maybe I take some sort of uh, sadistic enjoyment from rubbing people's faces and and like the imperial fist players and black temple players rubbing their fists and and saying, oh yeah, look at the the uh, legion that is the most opposite to yours, mm-hmm. I'm going to turn it into that. And I like it. The, uh, that was definitely the reasoning behind the uh, Halbrecht to Iron Warrior Marshal. Awesome. Version. Yeah, nice. I like it. So, Pete, can you tell me about um, your Necrofex Colossus? Um, yeah, so this, this kind of came about as a... Just a, I wanted to do a project that was bigger than just doing a kind of normal standard size model. And I've been playing a lot of um, Warhammer Total War 2, which has the uh, Pirate Coast faction in there. And they have a big reanimated shipwreck, which is basically like a giant that's built out of corpses and old shipwrecks and yeah. i thought there isn't a, there isn't a model it's, it's kind of been hinted at the, at the lore a few times that these necromancers could build these giant um create creatures from mixtures of wood and zomb regular zombies and but there's yeah, never really yeah. been a model for it so i thought let's give it a go and i basically chopped up a the Ideneth Deepkin shipwreck model um yeah. i forget the proper name for it but yeah. uh, alongside a bunch of skaven war machines to get all those like planks because mm-hmm. the, the like the, the things like the plague claws and things like that they have these like a-frames so i had to individually saw out each of the struts from the a-frames and then yeah. um, clean them up and then build what looked like a a giant basically i think i, I scaled it around the new mega gargants so that if i yeah, was yeah. using game i could kind of proxy it as one of those yeah um so it's about the height of that it's on the same kind of pie plates the uh, base size as it and yeah, it was just it was just a real, really fun but challenging project because I, I was essentially scratch building using parts as opposed to just kind of using parts and adding little details to other miniatures. So I was having, yeah, yeah. having to cut pieces down into their raw materials to build something, which was it was quite a bit different from what I'd done otherwise. But I was really happy with with the, with the, the results and the video that I did for it did really well as well. It was nice to to base something from a game as well rather than just doing it out of my own imagination it had um i kind of I, I took a little bit of liberties with it just to because of the components that i had available but then it was also nice to have something that i could work towards and build around yeah i'm sure well i mean it, it's incredibly impressive it, it looks terrifying but i think you really captured the 
what the thing looks like in Total War, but actually turned into a, a real thing. I mean, was that how much did you were you trying to make it look really like the thing in Total War, or, or did you use that more as a jumping off point? It was. I kind of wanted it to be recognizable as that, yeah. but it came to a point where there was obviously certain limitations in the parts and components that I had. And so there are a few things which are different and I approach them slightly differently. Um, I mean, mine's probably not as mine's maybe looks a little bit more spindly than the official one, but I guess I've had to build it in a way which they didn't require the destruction of about 10 play claws just to build and just use the start collecting set instead. But yeah, so I was kind of limited in terms of resources in that sense. Um, and it just bulked up with green stuff and added a bit more of like strength to the, the joints. But it was also like, it, not only in like building it in terms of just how it looked and recreating a miniature and making it look interesting, but it was also a, it was a, it was a challenge technically to build a model that actually stood up and could hold its own weight and was yeah. balanced. And even though it was quite thin and spindly, I had to pin all the joints and make sure that they were all fixed together and balance the model in a certain way and make sure there wasn't any weak points. So kind of going back to what we were saying about the metal models and, and yeah, making yeah. them, I had to think about that and had to position things and I had to use, um, there were certain areas where I think I had to put more green stuff on one area of the model. So it wasn't, so that it balanced off from the other side. And mm -hmm. that was difficult as well, because it not only had to be, look right but it had to actually function as a physical entity which obviously the people who developed the game didn't really have to think about it, it could be no. as spindly and gangly as they wanted it to be um, yeah but this had to i mean it hasn't fallen over yet it's still my cabinet so that's a winner that's, yeah nice yeah so when you start one of these big conversion projects how do you approach it do you sort of start writing out ideas do you start sketching things or do you just look at the kits and something happens in your mind what, what's the process behind it um it, it's it's a hard one to kind of put my finger on because sometimes i will really go into um like researching if i'm basing something on on a, on a particular thing i'll do a lot of reading up on the subject or um looking at artwork and trying to get inspiration from that and then once i have it, an idea on my mind what it is i'm trying to recreate i'll then go looking at i'll try to break it down into individual parts yeah. in my head so i'll look at them and i'll be like okay how can i recreate that arm that weapon that shoulder pad that head that kind of thing and then i'll start to look at the kits from there yeah um sometimes i will literally just make it up as I go along and just kind of know where I'm starting out and then just trial and error until something works. And sometimes it doesn't work ever. And I just give up on the idea. Um, and other times I will end up going in a totally different direction and converting a totally different model that I set out to just because I had a, an idea halfway through. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a lot of, I, I think always one of my biggest problems is, is always, scale because quite often there's always there's always a component out there that you can use but it's always finding the component that's of the right proportion of the right yeah, yeah. just you there's loads of arms available when you've got a myriad of different races and mm -hmm. factions and, and even like stuff's got bigger now than it used to be so if you use old components sometimes they don't always have quite the same like firstborn marines versus primaris yeah, yeah. Um, so there's always something you've got to think about in in that regard and you don't always know until you actually physically have those pieces in your hands and you're comparing them and you just blue tack them together to, to see if it works. Um, 
But yeah, I think I, I always try to go in with the research before I even pick up any clippers or a knife or anything, but sometimes just kind of winging it works as well. Yeah. It all really depends on the model. Nothing nothing wrong with winging it, certainly. Yeah. No. And you can tell me, John, I don't want to talk about that. Have you got any of those projects where you've tried something and it just didn't work and you've put it aside and think, I'll do that later or maybe I'll never oh, do that? Oh, yeah. Later. Plenty of, plenty of projects. I think sometimes... Um, I mean, I, coming from the point of view of, of making guides and tutorials and things like that for people to follow, I'm always in the back of my mind thinking, um, how easy is this going to be for people to recreate? I mean, as someone who converts pretty much ne nearly every day and has done some big, big projects, I've kind of got a lot of experience in them about them, but I, I always need to yeah. think who, how much is, is the person watching this video done? How much have they kind of clipped up components and sac essentially sacrificing components. And if you do the cut wrong, then that part's ruined then. And if you only have three of those components in a kit, then mm -hmm. it's always that. So quite often I have, I've done a, I made some tail pathfinders and I kind of used some of the cloaks from, I think it was the, what was the kit now? It was, it was one of the, uh, the old, um, Elf kits. I think they're still available. The Shadow Warriors kit. They come with these okay. like nice cloaks, and I tried to incorporate those, and it did work to a degree. But then mm -hmm. the result was just a Pathfinder with a cloak. There wasn't really anything else to it. It was right. just something very, and and that's fine as a, as a conversion, I think. But I wanted to do more with that one, so I kind of built it and was like, no, I'm not happy with that one. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I did recently, which I think it worked. Is, is a concept i basically did so it was another tail conversion actually i took a tail pathfinder and cut off his legs below the knees and glued crute legs to him from okay. the same height so yeah. it kind of looked like uh it was a surprise actually worked and it looked like a crute who'd been dressed up in more kind of tail equipment and I, mm -hmm. I kind of modified his hand so he was carrying a, a pulse carbine and it actually worked really well but um i wanted to build a kill team but then i couldn't really think about how to build a kill team that had that had the carrot had some interesting mm -hmm. characters in it i liked to build kill teams with as individuals as opposed to yeah. teams yeah, yeah. um and i kind of that's kind of been shelved it's the model's there it's, it's, I know the concept works, but I just need to spend more time thinking about where to go next. And that happens quite a lot. I'll, I'll often come back to something that maybe didn't work. Um, I even think that the, the, the Iron Warriors Marshal that I built was, was essentially one of those because I built some, this was years ago. This was probably when I was about 14. So what, right. 17 years ago now. Mm -hmm. I actually built some Iron Warrior conversions and tried to make my own, servo arms and things like that and it just didn't really work yeah, out and i kind of took that i yeah it's very difficult stuff and mm. i took those ideas and over time i suppose kind of fermented them or gestated them and then just when i got to the point where i think oh no i know what to do now the idea comes back out and i, I kind of crack on with it nice. but yeah there's plenty there's always plenty of, of I, I suppose i don't call them failures or mistakes because i always learn something from them mm. but of, of projects that never really see the light of day they just kind of yeah. get to a certain point and i suppose their experiments is, is probably about yes yes you are the fabius bile of conversions <laughs> basically yeah <laughs> nice um all right now we're going to talk about uh one of your most recent miniatures um that at the time of recording you're still working on um mm. which is uh you've you've taken a very popular uh idea 
that has existed for a, a, quite a while now of uh, the Dornian heresy, um, yeah. which for listeners, if you've if you've heard of the Horus heresy uh, and you want something a little bit interesting to to get your minds around, um, do look up the Dornian heresy, as in Rogal Dorn. You are working on uh, Fafnir Ran, mm-hmm. but he's not your average Fafnir Ran, is he? No. Um, so, I mean, as you mentioned earlier, I have a, I take great pleasure in, in kind of making things very much the opposite of what they are. And the Dornian heresy is just massively like that. Every, every chapter that you view as loyalist in 40K, it becomes heretical, uh, with the exception of the Ultramarines who become like their own spin-off empire. Um, and in that, the, the, the role of, the Black Legion and what previously the, the Sons of Horus, they they are taken up by the Imperial Fists. So suddenly you have these Imperial Fists that are basically Chaos Space Marines in, it, in a sense. And I just kind of really liked the idea of, of doing something that I've had it for a while, but people have always suggested it that I tackle it and I've always been interested in it, but never really had and never really had the model that I thought, okay, this is definitely going to be the one. And then that yeah. that uh, the Fafnir model with the two big axes, I was thinking, this guy is has just corn written all over him. Mm-hmm. So I've kind of converted him into a kind of like a corn berserker. I think uh, every now and again, you used to see in the black Legion affiliated, like the specialist, like, um, so you used to see the death guard, but not they were plague Marines, but they weren't death guard plague. Marines. Oh, yeah. the black Legion, yeah, yeah. And they were painted with like the black Legion armor. And, but they were essentially still plague Marines. Yes. Yes. And I wanted to do something like that. So I wanted to make a, corn berserker with these two big axes but he had yellow armor and i think that was that whole kind of contrast there isn't really any yellow chaos space marines so suddenly you've got this yellow and black model and you think okay that's that's it looks quite um i mean it's it's not quite finished yet i'm still on the painting phase but it was just nice to I haven't got to the blood yet. So once that gets on there, it will be, uh, but it works surprisingly well, to be honest, just having that, those big axes and yeah, a few yeah. chaos space Marine parts. I think I've gone for a um, chaos space Marine head. I've added some chaos space Marine shoulder pads to it and removed nice. the, the hardest part was removing some of the Imperial iconography, um, which yeah. is always a tricky thing because you kind of have to take a textured surface and make it flat. And then you've got to work yeah, with yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just think it was just a, it was just a fun model um, to build, and it's being it's being really fun to paint as well. I really like painting yellow, and nice. doing on a model like this is perfect. Yeah, yeah. What is it? I really like painting yellow as well. Yeah. I remember I was I blame Avalan Sunset for this because before Avalan Sunset came along, I used to hate painting yellow. Yeah, and now it just seems like it's quite easy well not easy but it's it's satisfying and it's i mean it yeah. goes down easy the whole process it's uh it, yeah. it's i think it's one of those techniques where it's it's a it, it can be a difficult process to approach but once you figure mm-hmm. out how to do it then it's like oh, okay that's how you do it yeah. this is actually quite easy my mine was kind of my revelation point was when i used um the old cassandori yellow the old glaze paints that we've got yeah, like yeah. the replaced basically by the contrast paints um over a kind of like a a bleach bone kind of screaming skull kind of base coat there was like a a nice light tan Mm. and that used to create really nice smooth yellows and it used to have shading and something like a glaze it it just picked everything up really nicely yeah um 
and since I kind of figured that out, I was just like, yeah, okay, I'm going to work with yellow. And it's just mm. a really nice, vibrant color to work with. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I scratched an itch today by spending about two hours just painting the yellow on a uh, scorpion chainsaw. It was lovely. It was just, it was heaven. Um, but yeah, sorry, back to your, um, your not Fafnir ran. Uh, so you said blood there, so he's going to be absolutely slaked in blood or just a, a light flecking of blood? What do you think? Um, I, I think, I, yeah, probably over the axes, definitely. And then maybe a few splatters of crowd. I think it would look really nice against the yellow on the armor. So I've gone really, I've kind of really boosted the saturation of the yellow, probably far beyond, beyond what you would expect from a, a Chaos Marine, yeah. just because I wanted to have that. I really wanted to push this as being an, uh, an Imperial Fist and you look at the model from a distance, you maybe think, oh, it's an Imperial Fist. But when mm-hmm. you actually get up close and you think, oh no, he's got he's got a lot of spikes on him and he's got a mutated face and his axes are all notched and scratched up and covered in blood. And I even I even tried to keep on some of the, um, I've removed any Aquilas or anything like that, but the little Imperial Fist symbols that are on the model, I've kept those um, because I didn't want it to lose that Imperial mm-hmm. Fist aspect to it i want to still be an imperial fist but just a chaos one you really are a, an evil heretic when you want to be. Uh, yeah i know it's it's just i think they're always the, the the most interesting ones to do i think and i probably need to maybe try it from the opposite way around taking something that's evil and heretical and then trying to make it a little bit yeah see I, I suppose i have done that i've uh for my Mortifactors army, because they're sort of the least ultramarine ultramarines. Mm-hmm. When I, because I, I really love Contempt of Dreadnoughts and I wanted a couple of Contempt of Dreadnoughts in my Mortifactors army. And I ended up using the Death Guard one and the Night Lords one. So okay. um, I actually shaved off the, the, the back wings around the skull on the chest plate of the Night Lords one and just left the skull because you can have a skull. Perfect. Yeah. Um, and took a few little spiky bits off and, and didn't have the sort of gory heads hanging down the side of it. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it is really, really fun. So, uh, yeah. yeah. We'll try that next next time. Yeah, man. Take some Chaos uh, Space Marines into uh, Ultramarines or something. Oh, yeah, that'll do it, yeah. Well, no, I think you should keep bullying the Imperial Fists. I think you should turn them into Crimson yeah, Fists or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, that'd be a good option. Nice. All right, Pete. Um, I'm very well aware that I've taken up a lot of your time um, this uh, this uh, evening as we are recording this. Um, so I've got two questions to ask you to end this podcast. Uh, okay. Firstly, what's your favourite paint? Oh, um, I would say that my favourite paint is probably Dawn Yellow or anything that is like a pale yellow. Okay, um, yes, yeah, yeah. And not not just because I like to apply it, it's, it's really nice as a highlight, but it's also great for mixing in with other paints to yes, just is. lighten them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'd say that's probably that colour and that paint are probably some of the most used in pretty much most of my projects. All right, all right. I think that's our first, that's an edge paint, isn't it? The, uh, uh, yeah, it is, yeah. 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 I think that's our first edge paint. What I'm really enjoying about this podcast, when I ask people what their favourite paint is, they just go, oh, and then I get a nice long <laughs> pause as they're thinking. It's like, oh, yeah. That's kind of, anyway, um, right, second question, uh, sorry, last question for you uh, yeah. before I let you go. If you could paint anything this year, or the next mm-hmm. thing you paint maybe, and yeah. it can be absolutely anything. It can be something that exists. It can be something that doesn't exist. It can be something that's rumoured to exist. Mm-hmm. What would you like to paint next? If you could paint one model this year. If I could paint one model. Um, you know, it's a difficult one, but I, th- I think 
I think talking about the Britonians earlier, it would just be really nice to paint a new Britonian kit. That's why I just love to paint some peasant arches or men at arms, something mm-hmm. like that. That'd be really nice. Nice, nice. Yeah, dream would, that there'd be something there. Yeah, yeah. Will you be treating yourself to something very expensive off eBay? Uh, no. <laughs> no. All right. I it's think if I did, I'd, I'd, yeah, it's got, it'd have to be new on just simply because I think if I treat myself with one off eBay, I just, the temptation to destroy it and cut it up and for something else would just be too great. Fair enough. Um, yeah. And I wouldn't want to ruin a piece of history like that. All right. That's, that's well put. Yes. Well, um, uh, Pete's the war gamer. It's weird calling you Pete's the war gamer, but I'll, I'll keep doing it because that's who you are. <laughs> um, Pete the war gamer, it's been lovely having you on. Thank you so much for telling us about your life in miniatures. And uh, You're very welcome. Yeah, um, we should speak again soon. See you later. And there you have it, uh, my wonderful conversation with Pete, which um, is odd now because I'm I'm kind of ahead of uh, my podcast schedule which is a nice place to be. So I did that with Pete like uh, over, over a week ago or a week ago, um, quite a while back now. And um, it's just really nice to hear it again. Uh, I actually, when I edit this, because what happens is I get our conversation, I'll edit all of that and then I'll save that as an MP3. And then I drag that into um, the sound file that I'm making for the entire episode. And with this one I hadn't heard it in a while and I actually listened to it all the way through again um which you know I like listening to my guests so that's that's why I do this podcast but it was just really really nice to hear all of Pete's chatter again because he's got a lovely voice hasn't he it's a lovely voice um and he did do as I mentioned earlier a lovely Fafnir ran um you really should check out that uh, article on Warhammer Community uh, you'll notice uh, Crystal from episode... What episode was Crystal? Was she episode five? I think, maybe? Uh, Crystal's in there as well. She she got to paint something. But um, yeah, Pete's is really, really cool. Um, it's nice and gory and bloody and heretical, uh, exactly as we were talking about. So uh, I do recommend you check that out. Uh, and definitely, if you haven't already done so, check out his uh, YouTube channel. As I said in our chat... His recipe for rust is just, I love it. I love painting that recipe um, because its uh, it really looks really nice. Um, that's a lot of really, but it really does. Um, yeah, uh, I think that's kind of it. I think uh, we can pretty much wrap it up there. Uh, just say follow Pete the Wargamer on YouTube and uh, you can uh, follow me at Heresy Heroes on Twitter or you can come along to heresyandheroes.com dig out a really old ancient article that I wrote you know seven years ago and leave a comment that highlights you haven't actually read what I did which is um, which has been my uh, enjoyment this week as I mentioned uh, we'll be back next week with episode eight again episode eight is already um, already recorded so I just need to edit it and then build it up and it should appear next Sunday morning um so yeah, looking forward to that. And I've got another person scheduled in for this week. Uh, and then there's one more that I'm still still working on. But anyway, all of that is still to come. I hope you've had a lovely time. I hope that we've been really enjoyable company for you. I hope your hobby is going really well. hope you had uh, had fun removing those mould lines and, and blending that texture really nicely in and, and you know putting your, your base, base together or whatever you've been doing while listening to this. I hope you've had a good time. I hope your hobby is going very, very well. 
Hope you're enjoying it, getting the most out of it. And until next week, uh, I shall leave you to continue having a lovely time uh, and enjoy uh, the rest of your weekend if you're listening to this. I'm rambling again, aren't I? Have a wonderful time. We will see you next week. Thank you very, very much for listening. <laughs>